Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ, 102.1 FM, Community Radio. We are, as always, acknowledging we're on Aboriginal land here in Brisbane, Jagera and Turrbal country, uh, south and north of the river, um, and, of course, broadcasting out to uh, lands of other surrounding nations. Um, and today on the Paradigm Shift we are going to be talking a bit about Aboriginal issues. You may have noticed if you have cast even the briefest glance at the news or on social media in the last week that there's been big protests in the US about racialized policing, um, police violence after the death of George Floyd killed by police officers in Minneapolis a week and a half ago. Um, and... Sure, it's an issue in the US, there's no doubt about it, but it's also an issue in Australia and has been for a long time um, and has been something that Aboriginal activists and supporters have for a long time been trying to bring attention to in this country and trying to deal with in various ways. And so we're going to be bringing our focus back to the uh, systemic racism, the uh, racialized policing and police violence in Australia today to talk about Aboriginal deaths in custody. I've got three interviews um, I've done. One is with Sophie Trevitt, who is from an organization called Change the Record, who have been set up to try to address the issue of high rates of Aboriginal incarceration and then the often the deaths in custody that come with that. Another is with Monique Hurley from the Human Rights Law Centre. We're going to talk about a bit of news you may have missed about a month ago, a month and a half ago, the coronial inquest into the death of Tanya Day, who died in late 2018 in Victoria on a uh, in custody, in police custody, after being arrested for being drunk on a train. The coronial inquest was released recently and it had a number of recommendations, including that the Department of Public Prosecution uh, look into whether police should be prosecuted for criminal negligence. But one of the other significant things about that inquest was that it took into account whether systemic racism played a part in Ms Day's death. And so it's quite interesting. Um, well, I spoke with Monique Hurley about what could be the impact of that on law enforcement in this country. 
And I also spoke with Bo Spearham from Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance who are organising a rally tomorrow uh, about Black Lives Matter that's happening in the city. And so that's what's coming up over the next hour on the Paradigm Shift. Stick around. Um, To kick us off, I might play a song from a Brisbane legend, Kev Carmody. This is Black Deaths in Custody. Blacks the 
justice in this white democracy When you can execute us without a trial while we're held in custody That is Kev Carmody back in 1988 singing about black deaths in custody there. That is what we're going to be talking about on the Paradigm Shift today. And I spoke with Sophie Trevitt this morning. She's from an organisation called Change the Record. Let's have a listen to her. Could you start by introducing yourself? My name is Sophie Trevitt. I'm the Executive Officer of Change the Record, which is Australia's only Aboriginal-led justice coalition. So can you tell us a bit about Change the Record, how it got started and what's the purpose of this coalition? Sure. So Change the Record started five years ago. Um, It was started by a group of both Aboriginal-led organisations and non-Indigenous allies who came together with the shared goal of ending the mass incarceration of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and cutting the disproportionate rates of family violence, um, particularly against Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women. And so the work that we do is um, really focused on those two key goals, um, which are obviously intimately connected with achieving justice and equality for First Nations people. So this week, obviously, police violence has been a big issue in the global media. And I think in Australia, it's an opportunity to look at what's happening in this country. It has been an ongoing issue. Famously, the Royal Commission in from 1989 to 1991 into Aboriginal deaths in custody. But since then, there's been over 400 more deaths of Aboriginal people in custody. Is this an ongoing issue for Aboriginal people? Yes, it is. So Australian Bureau of Statistics data released just yesterday show that the number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people being incarcerated in this country is going up, as are the number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are being held in prison on remand. So that means that they haven't even been convicted of a crime. We know that there are two key reasons why we see the mass incarceration of of First Nations people in this country, and that's because of discriminatory policies, and then on the other side, it's because of discriminatory policing. The Royal Commission, as you said, that released its findings almost 30 years ago had hundreds of recommendations to address these two issues, and state and territory governments have overwhelmingly failed to implement them. Mm. So... You mentioned two kind of elements there. One is that the the policy itself, the system, is um, biased against Aboriginal people, and the other is that the the individual police uh, carry their own biases. Are these two things linked? Yeah, they are. So they both obviously come from the same system of colonisation, of systemic discrimination, of trauma, of generations of um, dispossession and of poverty. Um, And they need to be dealt with hand in hand. So we have a system that um, punishes and discriminates against Aboriginal people. That means we need to change laws um, 
such as public drunkenness, for example, which largely is a law that arrests Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. That's not to say that that's because white people don't get drunk in public places. Of course they do. But when you couple that discriminatory law with discriminatory policing, you end up with tragic situations where First Nations people are being arrested, taken into police custody, and as we saw oh too recently, even dying in police custody. Mm. Um, There are other measures that need to be put in place, so things like changing mandatory sentencing laws um, or punitive bail laws, which don't require someone to commit a new offence. They just require someone to breach a condition and then it sends them back into the prison system. These disproportionately affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And finally, we need proper accountability of policing and the application of these laws. So at the moment, we have a system where police investigate police for all sorts of complaints, from racial bias um, to assaults to even, um, you know, sometimes things so serious as people dying in police or prison cells. That has to end. We need transparent and fully independent investigations of complaints against police. Mm. Uh Two different issues that are often talked about are, I guess, the high incarceration rates of Aboriginal people, but also then the issue of uh, people dying in custody and a lack of care for Aboriginal people in there. Are, those, are these two issues separate or are they one and the same? So again, they're connected. What the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody told us was that the biggest reason why we see such a tragic and preventable number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people dying in police and prison cells is because they're coming into contact with police in the first place. So we have to end the discriminatory policing and the discriminatory policies that push Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people into the criminal justice system. That's one side of it. But then the second side of it is the discriminatory attitudes and the biases that mean that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are denied the same level of health care, for example, when they're in the criminal justice system, but they're not believed when they say that they're in pain or that they have been injured. And you have these horrific examples of preventable deaths where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who have chronic conditions like asthma or diabetes end up dying in prison cells because they are not given the care that they deserve. Mm. So change the record, you have... Uh, a vision that has a number of uh, kind of different points, recommendations of how we could address this issue. Can you tell us what some of those uh, recommendations are? Yeah, so I think the the, the clearest and and, and most simple one coming, um, like that's so pertinent right now, is to change the laws that see Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people pushed into the criminal justice system. So that means ending things like mandatory sentencing, for example. But underneath that, there's a whole raft of systemic change that needs to take place. So we need to be investing the hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars that we funnel into the punitive criminal justice system. That money needs to be reinvested into what we call justice reinvestment, which means going back into the communities to implement community-led solutions um, to resolve some of these issues so that people don't end up in prison cells. We need to see fundamental changes like the age of criminal responsibility being raised from just 10 years old to 14 years old. So right now we know that even though Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children make up less than 7% of the general youth population, over 50% of the young people who are in youth prisons are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. This is both tragic for that young person's life, but it also has lasting consequences. Um, 
so these are the sort of systemic fundamental changes that need to take place so that we see less Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in prisons um, and they can assume the leadership roles that are rightfully theirs within the community and we can see real change and real equality happen. Mm. Change the Record is a coalition of different groups. Are there groups that are doing this work, say you talk about the money that's spent in prisons, could that money be reinvested into community groups that are trying to address these things at a grassroots level? That's right. So all around the country there are examples of justice reinvestment programs that are really working. So these are programs that are designed by the community to address some of the issues that that community has identified are causing, are causing problems. So that might mean working with families um, who have experienced trauma. Um, it might mean some parenting programs to assist families to stay together. It might mean programs that target young people to help them stay engaged in school or find meaningful work. These are the types of programs that communities themselves know best. What is the solution that they need for their people to make real change? And... So, famously, the, there was a Royal Commission um, handed down a number of recommendations, and I guess every time there's a fresh uh, death in police custody, which seems to happen quite often, even in the last few months, there, there have been a few, and, of course, we also will speak on the show about uh, Tanya Day, the um, inquest recently released. Every time there's this kind of going back to oh, the Royal Commission recommendations, why haven't those things been put in place? Yeah, it's, it's um, tragic and disheartening and frankly unacceptable that we have a situation where almost 30 years ago a raft of recommendations was handed down to end black deaths in custody and state and territory governments have failed to implement them. It's not because the solutions aren't there. They're, they've all been laid out. They've been rehashed and reiterated in coronial inquests, in inquiries, in subsequent royal commissions. The only thing that's lacking is political will. So we have governments that for too long have exploited partisan um, law and order rhetoric, fear on fear about crime, um, fear-mongering about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, about ethnic minorities, um, and, and obviously see this as a more effective way to gain votes than making real effective change in the community to save lives. Um, and that is profoundly disturbing. And one can only hope that this moment of awakening that um, non-Indigenous people appear to be going through in Australia at the moment, um, sparked by the death of George Floyd in the US, but um, then carried by the Aboriginal leaders and voices in our own communities, saying we need to look here um, at our own country and our own institutions that are, that are killing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. One can only hope that this moment... Um, inspires non-Indigenous allies to start contacting their members of parliament, start raising their voices in support and saying that this must end. Mm. So you're heading down to the uh, Black Lives Matter rally right now in Canberra. Do you think that uh, these kind of community responses are something that can make a difference in this issue as a everyday live reality for Aboriginal people? Yeah, I do. So I'm on my way down at the moment. This is a rally organised by Aboriginal people um, and and has mobilised, you know, uh, I saw online that there are thousands of people who have said that they're going to attend. Obviously, everybody is taking pandemic precautions, um, but it is these kinds of demonstrations of solidarity 
um, that are necessary to show governments, to show members of parliament that they can show leadership, that they can be brave, that they can say that things need to change and they won't lose votes because of it. Um, while I wish that politicians would just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, we know that, that that's not the case. So what we need now is for all of us to be standing up and standing together and demanding change of our elected leaders. And if people are interested in finding out more about uh, Change the Record and maybe supporting it, how can they do that? So it'd be great if they could head over to our website at changetherecord.org.au follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can sign up, you can make a donation, you can join the campaign and we will be emailing you over the coming weeks and months with our specific campaign asks and key actions that you can take um, to join this fight for, for justice and for equality. Thanks very much. Great, thanks very much. So I hopped on a train To gather with those who were feeling the same The procession began Led by his countrymen We walked numb hand in hand While they lay that broken body in his own land Seems we never get together these days But to mourn the souls of those who've passed away
much ground Oh, I will always think upon That mother and her only son met I do thank that young man Who brought the reins alive again A great song, that one, Stiff Gins with Go Go. Um, for those who don't remember, the lyrics of that song referencing the death of TJ Hickey, who in 2004 was... Um, killed by police while while being pursued by police on his push bike. He was impaled on a fence um, and died. The subsequent report suggested that the police had done nothing wrong and, in fact, claimed that they, they had never hit him and that he'd flown off his bike um, through some other circumstance. Uh, there was a massive protest, in fact, in scenes somewhat reminiscent of... Minneapolis in recent times. The Redfern police station was burnt to the ground in 2004 um, and Stiff Gins wrote that song, Go Go. We are talking about Aboriginal deaths in custody, of which there have been many. Um, the Royal Commission in 1989 was called because I think there had been about 100 in the decade preceding to that and deaths, Aboriginal deaths in custody and but in the nearly 30 years since, there's been more than 400 more. And so a lot of work continuing to do. Um, one death in custody, a more recent one, in December 2017, Tanya Day died in the Castlemaine Police Station Watch House. She fell and hit her head and died of a brain hemorrhage. She had been arrested on a train for under the charge of being drunk in public, an archaic law that these days is essentially only used against Aboriginal people. And um, there was a coronial inquest which released its findings about two months ago. Um, there are noteworthy things about the coronial inquest that may affect how these deaths in custody are dealt with in future. To find out more, I spoke to Monique Hurley from the Australian Human Rights Law Centre. Could you start by introducing yourself? Sure. Monique Hurley, lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre. Now, today on the Paradigm Shift, we're talking about Aboriginal deaths in custody um, and sadly, they're not an uncommon occurrence, not as uncommon as we would like, but the recent coronial inquest into the death of Tanya Day 
on a V-line train in Victoria uh, did provide some new developments in the ongoing saga of Aboriginal deaths in custody. What was unusual about that coronial inquest? So hundreds of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have died in police custody, yet no police officer has ever been held criminally responsible. And so one of the reasons why Ms Day's coronial inquest um, is significant is because the coroner made the decision to refer the police officers involved in her death to the Department of Public Prosecutions down here in Victoria for criminal investigation. So that's a really landmark decision and must be a moment of reckoning for Victoria Police and the Victorian Government. The inquest was also significant for a few other reasons, and I can just touch on a few of those. Um, One was before the inquest started, the coroner recommended that the Victorian Government decriminalise the offence of public drunkenness. And so Victoria and Queensland are the two um, states and territories in Victoria that still have that offence in their laws. It was a recommendation of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody almost 30 years ago to abolish that offence because of the discriminatory impact it has on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And then another reason why the inquest was significant is because the coroner made the decision to look at the evidence through the prism of systemic racism and the explicit inclusion of that within the scope of the inquest was an Australian first. So what were the factors that led to the coroner taking into account systemic racism? So Ms Day's family and her children, Belinda, Warren, April and Kimberly, really pushed for the coroner to investigate whether systemic racism played a role in their mum's death. It's something that the family really saw very clearly as um, contributing to their mum dying in the circumstances that she did. And so systemic racism refers to situations that appear facially neutral, so laws like public drunkenness, but that actually operate in an uneven or unfair manner that is detrimental to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And so in practice, for Ms Day, um, Aboriginal women were almost 11 times more likely to be targeted for being drunk in public than non-Indigenous women um, at the time that she passed away. And so that's despite being public drunkenness being an offence that most people commit at some point in their life, um, whether that's, you know, leaving the footy or a pub or going to Friday night drinks. Mm. Yeah, it's a a very racialised offence in how it's policed both here in Queensland as well as in Victoria there. Totally. Um, Systemic racism, though, it seems to be a very difficult thing when it comes to a, a legal issue. I guess it's not necessarily a black and white thing. And I think by nature as well, crimes that are systemic, it's harder to uh, pin individual responsibility on that. How easily does systemic racism fit into our existing legal system? It's something that exists within a lot of institutions um, and that comes from, you know, the history of Australia and since colonisation, the rules that have governed Australia um, both spoken and unspoken, have really privileged whiteness and it's something that's really ingrained in our systems. The privileging of whiteness um, and the culture and values that came to Australia from England um, has been built into our legal system and our institutions and so it is something that um, is really difficult for us to grapple with within the existing system but just because it's difficult doesn't mean that um, institutions, particularly the police, should be taking a good um, 
look hard look at themselves and how they're operating and taking steps to um, you know be more anti-racist in how they approach things. Mm-hmm. So in the end, the findings were mixed in the coronial inquest uh, as to whether racism influenced the railway worker, which the inquest found that it did, and the police, which the inquest found that it didn't. What influence is this finding likely to have on future cases where racism may have been a factor in someone's death? So you're right, the findings were mixed um, in relation to the ticket inspector on the train. The coroner found that his decision-making processes um, and his forming of the view that Ms Day was unruly um, was influenced by his unconscious bias and that the decision to define Ms Day as unruly and to call for the police rather than pursue other options was influenced by her Aboriginality. Um, In relation to the police, um, it was disappointing that there was no findings of systemic racism um, on their part, although the coroner did make findings that um, the checks that were conducted when she was being detained in the police cell were inadequate um, and that evidence, the evidence given indicated a culture of complacency regarding how Victoria police treat people that are drunk. And so as a result of that, um, the coroner found that the police failed to take proper care of Ms Day as required by their own guidelines and that this was really important because if the checks had been conducted by the police in accordance with their own policies and procedures, um, Ms Day's deterioration could have been identified and actioned earlier. And so in terms of these findings and what it means for um, future coronial inquests, um, the explicit, explicit inclusion of systemic racism within the scope of the inquest um, and how the coroner considered the evidence given during the inquest through that prism lays the foundation for evidence in future coronial inquests to be scrutinised through a similar lens. And that's, that's a positive development. Mm. And the, the recommendation that the case be passed on to the Department of Prosecutions to investigate whether the police are guilty of negligence. Um, What's the process now with that? So the coroner um, referred the police officers to the DPP for them to conduct their own um, criminal investigation. Um, The coroner can't make findings about um, guilt or innocence for criminal matters. And so that now sits with the Department of Public Prosecutions who go through their um, own internal processes deciding um, whether or not they're going to proceed with prosecuting the police officers that were involved in Ms Day's death. Mm. So um, the inquest did come out with 10 recommendations. Are those recommendations things which, if taken up, could help address the ongoing problem of Aboriginal deaths in custody? So the coroner did make a number of recommendations and the the um, one that was really significant was the recommendation that the Victorian government decriminalise the offence of public drunkenness. And so decriminalising that will um, have an impact on deaths in custody because it will mean that people won't um, be able to be locked up because of that offence. Um, the other recommendations were around um, V-Line, the regional train provider in Victoria, reviewing their policies um, and procedures and also Victoria Police reviewing their training um, and education internally. Um, that's, that's a good thing and will, you know, hopefully result in some good internal change in both of those institutions. Um, 
but the coronial inquest is not the end of the road for um, the Day family in terms of seeking justice for their mum. Um, it's just the beginning and they're considering all of their options moving forward. I just, I don't think it should be left to families like the Day family to have to fight for justice through the um, coronial inquest process. Um, I think it's really important that governments across Australia should be more proactive in identifying and fixing discriminatory laws that persist today and result in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people being disproportionately arrested, locked up in dying and dying in police custody. And I think particularly at a moment like now, um, you know, governments should be doing that as a matter of urgency. Okay. Thanks very much, Monique. Thank you very much. And my song Check masked by mob As my mob are passing on Not forgotten That's why I'm writing the wrong So I can shorten the longs And need the action and on Call me the troublemaker Or when I the big noter My feelings are bitter And I burn heavier And only some get peace While none get by And if the cops are cooked And I'm stubborn for a while Cause the food is poison On the stomping ground I needles trying to catch the sun In a world underground I may as well be six feet deep How can I dance in a block of metal and concrete? The dancer is dead, dancer is dead, dancer is dead, the young dancer is dead, dancer is dead, dancer is dead, dancer is dead, the warrior is dead, dancer is dead, dancer is dead, dancer is dead, the young dancer is dead, dancer is dead, dancer is dead, dancer is dead, the warrior is dead. Oppression fragments of culture and gather the pieces about history like a vulture. Without a story, how do we forgive, forget the past? When identity was stolen from a generation past, as we lose another youth to a noose in a jail cell. Gotta by the truth, they refuse to tell. So look at me, I'm a walking talking statistic. Look at me and tell me something more realistic. The truth, I can handle it. Use all imagination. Don't sugarcoat with words like reconciliation. Cause I'm the finished product after years of subjugation. So being who I am is my only motivation. Is last connection there from the album Cannot Buy My Soul, the 
um, Songs of Kev Carmody. Um, that one is Young Dancer is Dead, a great album of people doing covers. We did earlier play a Kev Carmody song, otherwise I probably would have played the original of that song. Um, but the original, of course, about the death of Daniel York, who was who died in the back of a police van after being tackled into the ground by police officers in West End, Brisbane, in 1993. Um it's, yeah, a bit of local history. There was a big protest following that, a march of, a silent march of 4,000 people from West End to Roman Street Police Headquarters, but also the day after Daniel York's death, uh, some apparent street fighting between Aboriginal people and police out the front of Roman Street Police Headquarters. Um, I did write an article about the death of Daniel York. It's been viewed a bit this week it, amongst lots of talk of police violence. I'll post a link to that on the Paradigm Shift Facebook page if you're interested in going and having a look at that. Of course, another great Kev Carmody song, uh, River of Tears, about um, deaths in custody as well, Um, uh, particularly David John Gundy killed in Marrickville, also in the early 90s um, in his house, shot in his house in Marrickville by police. Um... Yes, that's what we're talking about on the Paradigm Shift. It is 12.41. We have been speaking before. Last connection, we were speaking with Monique Hurley about the recent coronial inquest findings into the death of Tanya Day in Castlemaine Watch House after being arrested for uh, being publicly drunk on a a train. Um, And we earlier did speak with Sophie Trevitt from Change the Record as well. Now, tomorrow in the city, there is going to be a rally, a Black Lives Matter rally. It's at 1 p.m. at King George Square, and it's organised by Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. I spoke to Bo Spearham from War about the rally. Can you start by introducing yourself? Yep, uh, Bo Spearham, Gumaroi Kuma, Marawari, and part of the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance in Brisbane. And Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance tomorrow are organising a rally here in Brisbane, a, a Black Lives Matter rally. Can you tell us why that's happening? Definitely, definitely. So I'm sure, you know, if, if you've been next to a TV or a, or a computer screen or a phone, you can't not escape what's been happening in the United States uh, with our black folks over there who have been uh, murdered and brutalised. Uh, continually um, at the hands of police. Yeah, you know, so what we wanted to do was, one, show solidarity, you know, with them to say, you know, like, we see you and we hear you and, you know, we care about you guys. But then also to acknowledge that, hey, you know, like, you know, this goes on here. And I think with how the media has been going on and it first happened, it sort of, you know, raises the question of, well, if you want to talk openly and concernedly as well about what's happening in America. Don't forget what's happening in, in your own backyard, you know, Australian media. It's, it's been really big and, and good to see that, you know, all these rallies are popping, popping up all over the country um, in solidarity with black folks in the state, but then also, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here who still face persecution and police brutality, uh, racial profiling, and then sadly, you know, dying custody. There is a big distinction between the both. You know, one movement, Black Lives Matter, is a movement to highlight, you know, the brutalisation of, of black bodies in the States. Uh, and the Stop Black Dust in Custody movement 
you know, that has been going on here since 1991 after the Royal Commission, or even before, I should say, you know, highlights the, the continuing mistreatment and brutalisation of Aboriginal bodies uh, and here as well. You know, I guess in one way, both those movements are linked, you know, because of our blackness and because of uh, how we are perceived within this country due to the colour of our skin. Um, but then also acknowledging that these are two movements from two different continents and we have inherently been, um, you know, fighting against police and against prison uh, brutality in our own countries. Uh, so hopefully this just, you know, highlights the continuing <coughs> solidarity movements, you know, that can happen uh, between Aboriginal communities and, and black communities in the United States. Do you think that the media and I guess many Australians get sort of caught up in the spectacle of what's happening in the US but ignore the racialized policing and um, deaths in custody issues in Australia? Well, definitely. You know, I think that's one thing for the whole world as well. Um, you know, the United States in itself is a polarizing, you know, uh, country. It's sort of like the entertainment capital. So anything that's going to come out of, out of, out of the United States is going to be polarizing, whether it's sort of uh, looking at police brutality or, you know, looking at sort of other racialized violence within America that sort of happens to other countries and other indigenous folks or black folks around the world. You know, America sort of has always, you know, has become the sort of beacon of sort of social movements and that's sort of been a place to sort of look at. So within that, you know, of course people, you know, are going to um, not believe or not perceive that this happens in, in their own backyards, whether it's in Australia or in the UK or in you know, uh, in multiple places in Europe or in New Zealand or, you know what I mean, in Canada or even inside of America with Indigenous folks as well. You know, and also, you know, the ignorance. Um, you know, one thing that this highlights is that, you know, most countries don't respect their black peoples or their Indigenous peoples. So what they usually do is amplify injustices that happen in other parts of the world. And what that does is it, it says it's okay to speak on issues that don't necessarily inherently affect, uh, uh, affect the concept that they're on. You know, they can be outraged and they can say, hey, you know, we want to protest, you know, because that does not affect us, but we're, you know, outraged by it. But, you know, on the other hand of that as well, you know, uh, this is too close to home. Black dust and custody is too close to home. You know, um, the, the, the murdering and the brutalisation of, of Aboriginal bodies in this continent hasn't stopped since 1788, you know, since, you know, uh, Arthur Philip and the first fleet landed, you know, the, the brutalisation of black bodies in this continent, uh, in any forms, when we talk about them, you know, will always be drowned out by media hype, you know, because it is too close to home. Australia's not ready to have a conversation about that, you know, because Australia's not ready to give justice to Aboriginal people. Today on the show, we're talking with some lawyers and uh, I guess a lobby group changed a record about the issue of Aboriginal deaths in custody and ways to try to change it. What's the importance for you of people getting out on the street, like at the rally tomorrow and that kind of grassroots organising? Uh, yes, it's really good, you know, to highlight, you know, there's, there's many amazing people out there that are doing things to stop this. But there's never been really any justice, you know, for Aboriginal people when it comes to black custody. Um, police officers haven't been found guilty uh, in terms of um, you know, murder, murder and brutalising uh, black and Aboriginal bodies in this country. You know, so it's sort of like, how do we find justice? What, we, what, what do we do? How can we sort of, you know, move to a position where... Um, Aboriginal bodies are not getting brutalised continually, and then there's no justice at the end of that. 
The Aboriginal people, like, like we know how, how to protect ourselves. We've been doing it for 250 years. You know, we change our voice. You know what I mean? We speak differently. You know, we make sure we have our ID on us. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we, in some way we become, you know, we have to become passive when we have these interactions with police officers because, you know, there is that thought in the back of your mind, like, hey, you know, I might, you know, be the next black death in custody. Um, you know, that, that thought always plays in the mind of Aboriginal people uh, when we're caught on our own or when we're caught with our families or, you know what I mean? So <clears throat> I think the way that we've got to look at, you know, curbing or stopping black deaths in custody is, you know, looking at how do black people, how do Aboriginal people die within custody? You know, the power is given and taken and stripped from them. And in most cases, they're murdered by white folks, by white people who, who have some somewhat power in that instance. So let's sort of try and change the way that, I, you know, uh, these happen. You know, let's be on the front foot when um, Aboriginal people come in contact with police officers or some, or some form of law enforcement. And let's sort of, you know, pull our phones out um, and record that. Let's interact and say, hey, you know, Mr. Aboriginal guy or woman, are you okay? Now I'm standing here and I'm recording this. You know what I mean? That may, that may say, save an Aboriginal person's life. That may save, you know, a uh, person of colour's life within this country when they do come in contact with police. You know, like I said, you know, for the most part, Aboriginal people die at the hands of white people. You know, so I think some white people can do more to protect, you know, the lives of Aboriginal people. And, I'm, and in no way am I saying, you know, come save us, white man or white woman. You know, like we've, been, like I said, we've done enough of them. You know, we continue to do uh, the work to uh, protect ourselves and to, and to be safe. But, you know, that can only go so far. You know, at the end of the day, racism, it ends with black people, you know, and with black bodies. And sometimes that's, you know, after being brutalised or being racially profiled or even dying. You know what I mean? So the way that we need to curb and to stop these things is, is white folks uh, who have, you know, the most greatest power in this world, that's called white privilege, to use that, you know, to, to the advantage, weaponise that. So when, when you're on the streets and you see that black fella who you walk past every single day and think, oh, it's just a bum, but the next time they interact with police officers, if you don't want Aboriginal people to protest and to stop you and to, and to you know, um, stop you from getting home for being late for your dinner on Sunday or whatever, you know, do some more to protect those lives because, you know, um, one more, you know, Aboriginal death in custody is too much and too many, you know, and then it's like, well, you know, what do we have to do, you know, to get justice? You know, is there going to be a day where, you know, cities around Australia burn like in America? You know, and if those days do come, you know, are you going to complain and whinge about Aboriginal people being violent, being the recipients of violence, or are you going to say, you know, they're just, you know, inherently violent people? Yeah, because, you know, when we look at what's happening in the States, that's a symptom of what's been happening for 500 years. And even longer, you know, with uh, what's been happening with the, uh, the American, Native Americans as well. So that's, that, that's what I'm hoping, you know, for an outcome. You know, and, and, all, and, all, and all we can be in as well is hopeful. That's all we have. You know, and so if people, you know, would, would, would ask me, what can they do to be better? Uh, weaponize white privilege and have the, you know, the backbone to sort of, interact with coppers you know, when we do come in contact with them or when we do have these violent interactions. Yeah. It's been a while since there's been any rallies, I guess, with concerns about coronavirus um, infection and, I guess, the laws that are restricting gatherings. For you guys organising the rally tomorrow, are there any concerns or any things you put in place to deal with that? 
Oh, definitely. There's always concern um, when, when, when coming in uh, into a rally. But, yeah, like you said, COVID sort of, you know, throws a spanner in the works in terms of how we do that, just like it did with how we go about with our daily lives. So we're taking that kind of step with, you know, what will we do in our daily lives? So, you know, we're encouraging people to bring face masks, bring hand sanitizer, and to adhere to social distancing. You know, we will have marshals to sort of keep that um, okay and under wraps. And, you know, I think that we're adhering by that as well. You know, it's a sort of um, um, protest under a pandemic. You know, not to say that, you know, we have been combating, you know, these things in the past as well. Like, we've been lived under um, strict, you know, conditions and rules and all these things and we managed to survive and we've managed to still get, get out um, the words, you know, and hit the streets as well. So, you know what I mean? It is a new way of sort of protesting, but, you know, nothing's new when you've you know, lived under colonisation. It's just sort of the way that um, you adapt to the conditions that you're under. Cool. Um, so, if people are keen to show support tomorrow, what's the details of the rally? Uh, it's 1pm, King George Square. If you are coming, just remember to bring your face mask, your hand sanitizers, uh, and adhere to social distancing. But also, if you do have chronic illnesses or you have flu-like symptoms, please stay home. Um, and if you do want to watch uh, and support online, uh, the best way for you to do that you know, go to the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance Facebook page online and support that. Um, you know, and, and follow the hashtag Stop Black Death in Custody and also um, Black Lives Matter. Okay. Thanks very much, Bo. Awesome. Thanks for that.
That is Titus there with Malcolm Smith, another famous Aboriginal death in custody in 1982. Um, young Malcolm Smith killed himself in custody. It was one of the um, deaths investigated in the original Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody um, between 1989 and 1991. The one who put out all those recommendations that we are still waiting for many of them to be put in place to try to stop the next death in custody. Um, before that, we were speaking with Bo Spearham, organising the rally tomorrow in King George Square, um, a Black Lives Matter rally. Uh, there's been get along if you can, of course, be safe with infectious diseases. Um, there's been a lot of talk about police violence recently, certainly uh, something that can so often be uh, not noticed if you are not on the receiving end of racialized violence. It's been brought fair and square into our attention this week by events in the US and in Australia, I guess it's a continuing issue and we need to not turn away from that. In fact, to seek out the voices of those affected and those who have been working on this issue for a long time. Um, I changed the record. I interviewed Sophie Trevitt at the start of the show. If you're interested in them and their campaign about um, Indigenous justice, you can check out that website, changetherecord.org.au. That's about all we have time for on The Paradigm Shift. And uh, go out. There's lots of great songs about Aboriginal deaths in custody. Um, a few I couldn't play, couldn't fit in. I'm going to go out with one from Birds. This is Black Lives Matter. Language warning on this track. See you next week. Next, it could be our sock. Now we say black lives matter, but shit, the fact of matter is we just black matter to them. This shit keep happening. Let me hear you, oh my, oh my. Let me hear you, oh my. Public warning for a life tragically lost. That doesn't make it easier. Still the same, still suffering, still have no justice. 17-year-old TJ Hickey was impaled on a fence at Waterloo after coming off his bike in 2004. Death sparked a riot, leaving more than 40 police officers injured. A coroner found TJ's death was a freak accident and there was no evidence of a police pursuit. The Hickey family and supporters maintain he was chased to his death. Enough is enough!